something that is unchanging and immovable. And when a flood comes, you want to hold on to something that's stable. We live in a world that's constantly changing. The only thing that is constant is change, except for God. God doesn't change. And the reason why is God is perfect. And in this broken world, this world that's filled with sin and, and, and pain and, and uh, all that the enemy can fill it with, God is at work. And we're seeing him if we're looking for him. I was uh, standing with a group of people uh, before the first service who were sharing about how God was doing miraculous things. And each one shared about a situation that they thought could not possibly have happened. And yet... God worked it out where it did. The impossible became possible because with God, what's possible? All things. And, and that's a truth. But how many of you know God doesn't work on our time schedule? How many of you know that he doesn't listen to what we tell him he ought to do and how he ought to do it? And there's a reason for that because God knows the best way. And he'll always do the best. We, we can't be assured with, that when anybody else, even ourselves, has our way accomplished, it's going to be best. But we can be assured that with God it is. And, and like I said, we live in this broken world, this world that is becoming more unstable, um, more dangerous than ever before. And you may say, well, I didn't come to church to hear what makes me fearful. But I want you to realize that we live in this world. This world is not heaven. Now, nobody here was like, oh, Really? Because we know. But sometimes we think things ought to happen differently. But this is a fallen world. The enemy is at work in this world. And just as real as God is, so is the enemy. But the difference is God is all-powerful and the enemy is defeated. And he'll only operate where he is allowed to operate. And many times people un unknowingly allow the enemy to operate. Just like it happened with Eve. She was... was tempted to distrust God, question God, and then made a decision to go another direction and trust something else. It's not unlike what we experience every day. Sometimes we question God. We wonder why this is happening or that is happening. God's not the one that's doing everything that's going on. If God had his way, this would be heaven. But he is working in, in the areas that we choose to allow him to work. And so we, we realize that the world is a battle zone. And we understand in this country something that other countries, other peoples understood much better than we did and much longer than we did uh, because when the battle came to our, our land at 9-11... It caused something to happen in our country that is continuing to increase. And that was a, a, a robbery of our stability and our security. In that moment, fear began to grip America like it had never gripped America before. And, and even Christians. And we became unsure about what was next. And because of that insecurity and instability, we started to interact with each other in, in very different ways that were more pronounced than ever before. People, when we become afraid, we become more reactive. And when we become reactive, we do things just quickly. And, and many times it's aggressively, uh, not thinking about anything, but just trying to, to do what we think will work, and many times it doesn't work, and all of a sudden we're in a deeper hole than we were before. But when 9-11 happened, the things that we had put our trust in, our, our, our safety within our borders, um, all of a sudden it was gone, and fear began to undermine all the security and stability that we had. So we began to question, we began to seek out stability and security and all sorts of other things and come to find that whether it's our government or our military or our economic system or whatever it is, it's not going to be stable enough for us to be able to trust in all the time. There's only one that is always stable, always able to be trusted in, and that's God. 
And uh, until we turn to God and really trust in God, we're going to be shaken. We're going to continue to be shaken because the Bible tells us in the days that we live in, God has said, I will shake everything that can be shaken. And we're seeing that. But what God wants is, God wants us to become aware that if there are things that are being shaken up in our lives, we, we need to look and, and consider, is that area of my life, am I, am I trusting in God? Or am I trusting in something else that is causing the shaking to be more prevalent in my life, causing me to be more unstable, insecure, more reactive, and even more aggressive than, than God would have me be? Because when God has his ways, he wants us to be full of love, full of, love, full of joy, full of peace. And if our lives don't have that, we need to consider why. What are we trusting in? There was a, a, a king in Judah that was facing a battle. And we sang about how the battle belongs to the Lord. And he was facing the Philistines and the Assyrians and this insurmountable army. And uh, King Hezekiah was saying to the people, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria or before all the multitude that's with him. Now, it's hard sometimes, isn't it, when we see things going on, not to have a reaction. When things aren't stable, when things are changing so aggressively and so dysfunctionally, it, it can really undermine. We can, we can start to react to those things, but we need to recognize we're seeing what we're seeing because the Bible tells us in the end days this is what's going to be happening. But we don't have to be scared if we'll just be prepared. And that's why the Bible tells us what it tells us. That's why God encourages us the way he does, and he doesn't, doesn't leave things out. He tells it like it is. And so this king said, you know, don't be afraid or dismayed of the king of Assyria or the multitude that's with him, for there are more with us than with them. And, and if he looked around and everybody else looked around, they would have thought he was crazy because there weren't more with them, naturally speaking, but he wasn't looking just at the natural. What's your focus on? Who's your confidence in? Because if it's in God, then we won't be afraid. But if it's in something else, then eventually that'll be rock too. He went on to say, for there are more with us than with him. With him is the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us to fight our battles. The Bible says with man, nothing is possible. With God, all things are possible. And we need to really believe what God's Word says. It's not just about knowing God's Word. It's about believing. Before you ever pray, we need to make a determination of what we believe. Because if we pray without believing, then it's just lip service. But we need to know what, what God has promised because He watches over His Word to perform it. His Word won't return void. His Word is what formed everything seen and unseen. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away before His Word does. And so we need to know what His Word says, and we've been learning about the importance of that. Uh, we've been studying in John chapter 15 about what Jesus was teaching His disciples on the night that He was headed towards the Garden of Gethsemane. They had just been in the upper room and had the Last Supper and headed towards the Garden of Gethsemane where He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be beaten and tortured. He was eventually going to be judged and condemned by false accusation, and then he was going to be crucified. And he knew, not only was he facing that, but his disciples were facing the most difficult times in their lives. They were about to see the one that they had put stock in, had left everything to follow, die before their eyes. And very easily, they could have lost all their hope. Their world could have been rocked. And Jesus was preparing them by the teachings that he, he started to do in John chapter 15, of which we're, we're beginning. And we're going to look at today and jump off into the last stage of what Jesus taught bears fruit and what is definitely important for us in these days. But before we do, let's pray. So if you'd bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you. 
Thank you for your presence here with us in this place, for your presence with those that are joining us online. Father, there's not a time, there's not a place, there's not a situation that you're not there, but Father, too often we try and deal with these things on our own when we don't have to. You're there with us, you're there for us, and you can do far more than we could ever do. Your resources are inexhaustible. Your power is unequaled. Your wisdom is unrivaled. And so, Father, help us to recognize that you have made yourself available and all that you have to us at all times so that we don't have to rely on those things that are frail and fragile and fleeting but we can rely on you, almighty God, to whom all things are possible. And so we thank you, Father, for, for speaking to us today. Help us to recognize what you're revealing to us so that we can walk in your will for your glory and your praise and your honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So just getting back up to speed. We, we, look, we started looking at some, or I'm sorry, John 15, and there are three stages that Jesus was talking about bearing fruit and how important it was, that it gave great pleasure to the Father, that it bore, uh, <clears throat> that it showed that we were his true disciples and that it was what Jesus called us and, and ordained us to do in this world. And the three stages we see in verse 2 that... Uh, and any branch that is in him that does not bear fruit, he would take away or lift up or discipline. It's a realignment of what God has for us where we adjust to him to realign in a new kingdom with a new and living way to walk in. Um, it's, it's dealing with sin, sin in our life that's continued on because we know the wages of sin is death. And God doesn't want death working in our life. Where death is working, fruit can't be produced because it robs us of fruit. The second stage is where when we're bearing fruit, he wants us to bear more fruit and enables us to do it by pruning us. And that is he removes areas in our life where we are relying on self, we're being guided and governed by self, which hinders us from being guided and governed by God because God's ways are the best ways. And then it brings us to verse 5, and Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. This third stage of fruit bearing is the most important. The first two are necessary because we're removing things that hinder fruit bearing, and we're making room for God. But abiding is when we become connected to God. The Bible says that we're we're to abide as a vine does, in, as a branch does in the vine. We're reaching out to hold on to God and allow Him to hold on to us so that His life can fill us and flood us, that we'll experience something that's supernatural and above and beyond anything we could ever imagine or dream, but it comes from Him. And so when we abide, there are three things that his word taught us that we're to abide in. We're to abide in him and he in us, meaning his spirit comes to live in us. But in that first stage of abiding, of him abiding in us by his spirit, when Jesus was resurrected, he went to the disciples and he, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And later on, he commanded them something again about Holy Spirit. Now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit has come to live in us. But it was so important to Jesus that it wasn't just about them receiving the Spirit of God, but they would be filled with the Spirit. He said to them and commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem, for in, in days you'll receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be witnesses to me. What Jesus was saying is, there is a necessity for a fullness, a flooding, an overflow, because that's the life that God has for us. And the only way it happens is when we make room and let him have that by abiding. The second part of abiding was abiding in his word and his word, his word abiding in us. And that is so critical to us, and we'll see that a little later today. And then abiding in his love and having his love abide in us. But this abiding, this abiding produces fruit of joy and peace and patience and kindness. 
And in the world that we live in, in the situations going on, there is a lack in many of our lives of the peace and the joy that God has. And, and that is what is going to be a real witness to the people around us to show them that although we're in the same world they're in, we're experiencing some of the same things they're experiencing, but our life isn't in the same condition their life is in. And that's going to be one of the things that draws people to Jesus. But we began last week, last Sunday, looking at Psalm 91 because it's a psalm, one of the best-known psalms uh, in the Bible, and it tells us what results from us abiding. And it's very appropriate, very necessary for us in the world that we live in that's so unstable, unpredictable, that causes us to be insecure and, and sometimes filled with fear. But in Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2, we looked at this last week, and uh, it starts out, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. This psalm, the scholars are unsure who wrote it, but they, they attribute it to either Moses or David. And the reason why that's important is in both of their lives, they both experienced very challenging times. Moses experienced incredibly challenging times with who he was opposed by as Pharaoh when God was telling him to lead their, his people out and then going through the wilderness. And David, David experienced very challenging times and and both of them had to learn the same thing, just like we have to learn it. But in writing this, they help us understand what needs to happen in the days that we live in that are so challenging, so fear-evoking, that we don't have to be moved by these things. But he who dwells, and the word dwells is the word abides. It means to remain or, or stay in place, to make a home or to continue. It actually means another definition is to marry. And unlike the world that we live in, marriage is, is uh, a covenant, and it is till death do us part. But he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. These two names of God listed here are very important. The Most High is Elion. It means the supreme above all creation. And then Almighty is El Shaddai, the most powerful. So we're talking about the one who's above all creation and the most powerful. Who, who can help us like the one who is beyond all creation or over all creation and all-powerful? No one can help us like he can. But we, we dwell in the secret place. Now, last week we talked about the secret place, and I usually don't ask this, but I, I did the first service, and they did really well. Um, but the secret place is the secret place. When we talk about secret, what does secret infer? If something's secret. Not very many people know, and if they don't know, they aren't going to be there. And it's secret not because God is hiding something. Does God play games with us? No. God wants us to have the best. He so showed us he wants us to have the best. He gave his son. And if he didn't withhold his son, he won't withhold anything from us. But why, why then do we struggle in our lives not experiencing everything God has for us? there's usually something that's hindering, and it's not God. Usually we do, and that's why abiding is so important. We've, we've turned to other things, we've trusted in other things, but when we dwell in the secret place, that secret place is a place that many people don't either know about or go to. And the reason why is they don't want to pay the price. The Bible says that when we seek God with our whole heart, when we diligently seek God, we'll find him. And many times in my life and in other Christians' lives, we, we seek God when things get difficult, but we're not in constant connection with him. And that's what abiding is. When we abide, we'll dwell, we'll abide in the secret place of the Most High. But when we're seeking him just for what we can get and then going off on our own ways, it's not going to work. We're not going to know him the way we need to know him. And, and so we, we hinder what God can bring to and through our lives. And then it says, shall abide under the shadow. 
That we talked about shadow last week and how the shadow is something that doesn't fall too far from whatever is cast in it. And so we need to be close. We need to be close to God. And, and God made it possible for us to be closer to him than any other person because he came to live in us. And then in verse 2, we looked at it. The psalmist said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. So he says of the Lord, and the word Lord is another name of God, Jehovah, the eternal God. And my God, in him will I trust. That word is Elohim, the God above all gods, little g. So he's revealing himself in a variety of ways. But we say, Lord, he is our refuge, our fortress. Now, when we talk about refuge, last week we talked about a refuge being a safe place. When there's a refuge for animals, what does it mean for an animal to get to a refuge? They're safe. It's a safe place, it's a protected place. It means supposed to mean that when an animal goes into a refuge or when someone gets to a refuge, they're protected. They don't have to worry. They don't have to be afraid because there is no thing that can cause fear to rise up in them because they know they're safe no matter what is going on around them. And then it says he's my fortress. And a fortress is all about a, being a stronghold, a strong castle. It's, it's about a complete, powerful protection. So there are these two things, but it says... He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In him I will what? Trust. Trust. When we talk about trust, when you trust something, what does that, what does that infer? Are, are you uh, questioning? Are you fearful? Are you unsure? Or are you sure? See, I, I, watched, I watched specifically some people this, this morning come in and watched your trust. And I know all of you trusted this morning. And the way I know is you're seated. You trusted that the chair would uphold you, that it would be supporting you. It would give you the opportunity to rest. And God, God is one we need to trust in. I didn't see anybody look at their chair, check under their chair, shake their chair, like we sometimes want to do with God because we're not sure. But God is more sure than the chair that we just sat in today. And so we trust in him because we have chosen to dwell and abide. When we dwell and abide, when we know, when we're connected with God and allowing God to connect with us the way only he can when we make room for him, all of a sudden there is a trust that rises up in us and settles us down, causes us to be secure and at peace and and not bothered or troubled by the things that are going on around us because we know who's with us and for us. Then in verse 3, it says, that's right. He rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. So he rescues us. When we dwell, he rescues us. But the very nature of rescue, who are people that get rescued? People that are in trouble. That's right. One of the ones I think about is, is somebody who's drowning. The lifeguard goes out and rescues them. But what does that, that, what does that necessitate? When somebody needs to be rescued, it means that they have gone beyond what they can take care of themselves in. Is that right? And something bad is happening. Let's just take a swimmer. You know, that swimmer didn't go out and expect to drown. Most likely, Right? They get out there, they're swimming, they're having a good time, they're doing what they set out to do, they're enjoying it, and all of a sudden, just in a moment, for whatever reason, things changed. And now they're not in control, they're not able to handle what's going on, they're overwhelmed, and they're being overcome by it. Now, I'll tell you, this happens in life all the time, and I'm not telling you this because I want you to be afraid, but I want you to be prepared. You know, I had an accident. I went out for a motorcycle ride. It was a beautiful day. was having a great time, and things changed rapidly. 
I was driving up Black River Boulevard. Went straight out here, got to the Black River Boulevard, started up, and by the time I got to the post office, now how many of you know that's not very far? I saw something I've never seen before. I saw a Jeep on its side and a car T-boned into it. Yeah, I was, I was shocked. Police were all around. The fire trucks were all around. They were, they were looking to rescue some of the people that were still trapped in these vehicles. Now, I will tell you with absolute certainty, I am, I am positive that the people in the Jeep and the people in the car took off from wherever they were and never expected that to happen. And yet it did. And we do life, but understand that we don't know what's out there. But God does. And we are living in a fallen world with a real enemy that is looking to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'm not saying that, that you would be afraid, but that you would be prepared. Because when those things happen, and they happen like that, you don't ever have to be afraid. You can have peace. You can have a confidence that it's going to work out for good. But it still happens. Yeah, it happens. Because in this world, the enemy targets people. He targets the people of God. But you can have the confidence that no matter what the enemy tries to do, that God is greater than the enemy. And that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And so he will rescue us. We'll find ourselves in situations we didn't expect, we weren't trying to get into, and all of a sudden it, we're over our head. We're being overwhelmed, and God's there. You don't have to fight this on your own. You don't have to rely on you. God, who wants to be an ever-present help in time of trouble, you can turn to and trust in and allow him to do what only he can do. Because God has promised that he would work all things for what? Good. Now, when it says he'll work all things for good, that's, that's a clear indication that what was going on wasn't. And so when things go south, when things go bad, when things happen, we have to remember it's not us trying to control it or make it work. It's us turning to and trusting in, relying on and abiding with God, holding on to him and let him hold us. Let him do what only he can do. But he rescues us from hidden traps and shields us from deadly hazards. If they're hidden to us, they aren't hidden to God. And then in verse 4, it says, He'll cover us with His feathers. Under His wings, you'll take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. And when it says He'll cover us with His feathers and His wings, it's a, it's a word picture. It's an understanding for us to realize that it's just like what they had seen hens do with their chickens or their, their chicks. They would cover their wings over them to camouflage them from the danger that was around, to protect them from the elements, to provide for them what they needed of warmth or dryness or whatever uh, so that they would be in the midst of it but not be affected by it. You and I are in the midst of the world, but we need to be able to recognize God's going to lead us and rescue us and bring us through whatever is coming against us. And, and under his wings there are clear indications. In Malachi 4.2 it says the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And Jesus told Jerusalem, he wept over Jerusalem and said, I would have desired to gather you under my wings like a hen with his chicks, but you would not. And that's where abiding is so important. We're being drawn. We're being pulled. We're... we're just headed towards other things, and they can't do for us what God can and will do. And then it says that his truth, his truth shall be our shield and buckler. What is God's truth? His word, his word. In Psalm 119, 160, it tells us that 
the entirety of his word is truth. And in John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So his, his word is our shield and our buckler. And, and when we're talking about shields, in those days, there were a variety of shields that people were accustomed to seeing. There were big, ornate metal shields that were for show. Then there were big shields that were for battle, and some of them were metal. The elite had the, the metal shields, but most shields were made out of leather or out of wood. And uh, they were various sizes. And your shield, my shield, we can choose how big a shield we want. And how big a shield do you want? Yeah, yeah, we all want a big shield. But we have to do something to be sure our shield is big. Because this says his truth shall be our shield. His word will be our shield. And the amount of word that we have in our possession, when I say that, I'm not talking about our Bibles or our, our books or things like that. I'm talking about what you've built into your heart. What is it that, as, as the psalmist said, I hide your word in my heart that I wouldn't sin against you. What is it that you've built of his word into your heart? Because that's one of the areas that we are so challenged on on such a regular basis. When we go to study the word, read the word, memorize the word, meditate on the word, it seems like everything comes up against us and, and kind of pulls us away from it. But we in this country have an amazing provision, amazing blessing that we have the word available to us in all different forms. And, and it's not hindered from us. And yet, how much work are we putting in? If you were building a shield and you knew you were going to be attacked, you were assured that there was an attack coming and you had to build a shield, how much time, how much effort, how much resource would you put into building that shield? And, and I know the answer is a lot because we want to be prepared. And God wants us to be prepared, but we have to do part of the work. And building the word into us, the Bible says that... Uh, we need to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When we take time to read the Bible, when we take time to study the Bible, when we take time to memorize the scriptures, and then to meditate on those scriptures, we're building a shield. And many times we, we want big shields, but we don't want to do the work that's necessary for it. Because it is work. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes repetition. And that's one of the things many times we don't want to have in our lives. We don't want to have to repeat. But it takes repetition with the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And when we build that Word into us, then Holy Spirit has the ability to remind us of that word. So when the enemy, enemy comes at us, all of a sudden, the word of God rises up. And that shield, that shield is a portion of a protection. But then it says, the word, the truth of God's word is our buckler. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, that's not a familiar word to me. And, and so I looked it up and it means rampart, which was not another common word to me, uh, or to, to garrison, and I didn't really know what that was either, uh, also a bulwark, but it's about surrounding, something that totally surrounds us, and I don't know about you, but I know that I have experienced in my life being blindsided by the attacks, right? And, and I don't want to be blindsided. So I need to be prepared to be able to build by the word something that will surround me for the enemy coming from any direction. And, and that's, that's a time where we didn't expect him to come, but he's still coming. The attack's coming. The battle's coming. The, the, the thing that we did not expect, just like those drivers of those two vehicles, never expected to be in that kind of situation. And yet they found themselves in that kind of situation because we live in a fallen world. And so we need to be prepared. 
But we don't have to be afraid. In verse 5, it tells us, you will have nothing to fear. You will have nothing to fear. God continues to encourage us. I've never counted them all, but I've heard from many sources that there are over 365 indications in the Word of God that God does not want us to fear. That's one for each day. And and every day. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and a sound mind. That sound mind is lost when we start to worry and become fearful about those things. And that's what, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants us to become unstable, but God wants us to know that he's got us. God's got you if you let him. And so you'll not have to fear, nothing to fear at night and no need to be afraid of the enemy arrows during the day. And if we were, we were looking at this and we were saying, well, how does that apply to me? Because there are arrows that you face every day. In those days, those were the most devastating attacks because they could do it long range. But they would shoot their arrows and people would drop. And you're getting arrows shot at you. And you don't maybe even know it. Because the enemy does that to all of us. And you might say, well, how, how does he do that? The Bible tells us about fiery darts. That the enemy throws fiery darts at us every day. These are the accusations and the slanders and, and, and the questions that you have that would cause us to doubt God and doubt ourselves and doubt what God has for us. And we've all heard them and we hear them over and over again and we have to recognize that that is the work of the enemy. But the Bible tells us that these, these fiery darts, the arrows of the enemy, can be quenched by the shield of faith. Again, the word of God. But the way it happens is these fiery darts, these, these accusations by the enemy come at us. They're thrown at us. They're thoughts either that come to our minds or people speak them out. And all of a sudden we question. It causes us to question. causes us to doubt. causes us to be afraid. Maybe God, maybe God won't take care of me. Maybe, maybe I'm just not good enough. Listen, it's not about you or me being good enough. It's about God loving us. And he always has and he always will. And what will allow him to do in our lives? That's where the abiding comes. We've got to reach out for him. Don't reach out for this or that or the other thing because he's not going to force himself. But when we reach out and abide to cling on to him, he's able to begin to flow through us and bring to us all that he has available, which is unlimited. Unlimited. But these, these, these fiery darts, we quench them by, by the shield of faith. And the way that works is we've got to recognize they're not true. The moment these things start to come, the enemy throws these accusations, these thoughts, or somebody speaks something out that, that isn't true. We internally have to recognize that's not true. Because if we know the truth, what will the truth do in us? Sets us free and keeps us free. So we recognize that's not truth. And if I accept that, if I believe that, if I begin to affirm that in my life, I'm going to lose the freedom that God's given me. I'm going to be robbed. And God will continue, or the enemy will continue to rob the things God has given us. But then we have to replace. We can't just recognize it. The Bible says, we need to take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, cast it down, and then replace it with truth. Because if we don't, then we've done a half job. Because we can't just get rid of it because the enemy is relentless, isn't he? How many times does he tell you you're not worthy? How many times has he told us that God couldn't possibly love us? God couldn't possibly want to do good for us? That is relentless that the enemy tells us that. And that's where we have to recognize that that is a fiery dart. It's a lie from the enemy. We capture it and say, that's not true. I'm not accepting that. But then we cast it down, but we have to replace it. Because if we don't replace it, he'll just send another one. And you and I can't think of two things at the same time. 
If, if we are trying not to believe what the enemy's saying about us, and I say, I'm not going to believe that, I'm not going to believe that, I'm not going to believe that, that's all I hear, that's all I believe. It's like me saying to you today, I don't want you to think about the fire truck, that big red truck with the bright, shiny chrome and the black wheels and the black hoses. That's all you're thinking about. But don't think about it. Don't think about the fire truck. No, don't think about it. But see, it doesn't work. So what we have to do is, if I don't want you to think about the fire truck, I'm going to say, I don't want you to think about the fire truck. Think about the ostrich with those big, long legs and that thin, snake-like neck and that big, bulging body. Well, what happened with the fire truck? You didn't think about it. See, the battle is the Lord's, but we've got a part in the fight. He's going to bring us into victory, but we have to do our part. And God is not going to control our minds. We have to take control. We have to choose to focus on what, what God has for us to focus on. We choose to hold on to, or to abide in God or in something else. What are we clinging to? What are we trusting in? What are we relying on? Because if it's not God, it's going to be shaken and it's going to shake our lives. It, it's, it's going to add to the, the lack of stability and security in our lives. It goes on to say, you will, not, you will have no fear of disease that comes in the dark or terrible suffering that comes at noon. You won't have to fear it. Are there things going on? Yes, there are, but do you have to fear it? No. Why? Because God's with us. That's right, Kalani. God's with us. God's for us. God has a provision for us. Not that we would avoid. This is not about avoidance. This is a, not about an exemption. We live in a fallen world. These things are happening all around us, but God is with us. No matter what comes to us, God will bring us through it. And we can be assured of that as we, we choose to abide in him and have his word abide in us, abide in his spirit and have his spirit abide in us and abide in his love and let his love cast out all fear. And then it goes on to say in Psalm 91 verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand. Again, this isn't to bring fear that we would be afraid, but that we would be prepared. Because these things happen in the world that we live in. We can't stick our head in the sand. We can't ignore it. But we can be prepared for it, knowing that God is with us. Do you know that one of the things that is a resurgent in our time is bomb shelters? More people are buying bomb shelters these days than ever before. Because they're trying to prepare for something that they don't know is going to happen. And it's still not going to do them any good if it's what they think is going to happen. But there's one that can pre prepare us and protect us and provide for us. Are you saying that we can go through an atomic blast? What I'm saying is, as you trust in God, that's not going to matter. What's the worst that man can do to us? Somebody said, kill us. What happens if we die as Christians? We don't have anything to fear. Just like Daniel in the lion's den. He trusted God. God in that moment shut the lion's mouths. God can do that. And God can do anything. But we need to know, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were told they needed to bow down before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had made, and they didn't, and he told them, if you don't, you're going to die, they said, as we should say, oh, king, it doesn't matter. Our God is well able to save us, but if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. There is a devotion, there is an abiding, there is a a trust in God that we as Christians need to have in these days to be able to be the people that God has for us to be and do the things that God has for us to do in this hour. A thousand may fall 
at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Now, a lot of times we read that and say, okay, so nothing bad's going to happen. If I abide in God and I love God, nothing bad's going to happen. But that's not true. There are going to be difficult things that come to us, but we need to be prepared. Need to know that no matter what comes to us, there's one that's greater in us and with us that will cause us to be overwhelmingly more than conquerors. Jesus always did those things that pleased the Father, and yet he had a lot of difficult things come to him. But what was the result of Jesus? Where is he right now? That's right. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of his Father. He is glorious and absolutely, completely victorious. Don't, don't, don't be so wrapped up in what this life is, is what's happening. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. We need to be realizing that we are representatives of heaven, and so we can reveal what heaven is on earth as we live a life completely abiding in him. And it will not come near us. What is the it? Difficult times? No, he didn't promise that. Challenges? Battles? No, they're all going to come. But what won't come is the fear. You do not have to be afraid of it. Why? Because you know and you're trusting in and abiding in, relying on and releasing your cares to God who can do the impossible, who will work all things for good. In Psalm 34, verse 19, this is one of those psalms that many people like the last part, but they don't want to acknowledge the first part, but they're both true. The Bible says many are the afflictions. That word afflictions, it, it, it deals with troubles and difficult times. That's the days we're living. And many are the afflictions of the righteous. The righteous are those that are in right standing with God, that are just. We saw in Jesus' life there are a lot of afflictions that came, but he overcame them all. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you will face, God is with you and he's going to bring you through into the fullness of what he's prepared. And he has for you to be overwhelmingly more than a conqueror. But the only way that happens is as we abide, as we trust, as we rely on, and as we release to God our all. Because anything else we rely on or trust in will end up failing us. But God, God will never fail you. Amen? Like every head bowed, every eye closed. We live in this unstable world that's becoming more unstable, more dangerous, more desperate, more difficult. And yet God didn't leave us alone. Jesus told his disciples, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll send another to you. And he did, and he does. And yet we can live our lives with having God present in our lives and just reach out for him when things get more than we can handle. Or we can be prepared that we're holding on to him through everything and it's not intermittent that we're reaching out for him, but it's continuous abiding. And he is able to fill us and flood us that no matter what we encounter, there's not a reaction where fear gets a grip and it begins to torment us and rob us of the peace and joy, of the hope, the confident expectation that God's going to work it for good. That we go through encountering and going through all the things that are in this earth and revealing our confident trust in God, our reliance and dependence on God, 
who in turn is then, as we release the control to him, is able to do what only he can do. The Bible says he'll do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. That he'll work all things for good. That he'll cause us to be overwhelmingly more than conquerors in all things. If we're more than conquerors, there was something that needed to be conquered. And God will lead you in the victory. It's not avoidance. It's the ability to abide and overcome. And if you have never turned to or trusted in the Lord, allowing him to become the one who governs your life and guards your life and guides your life, then today I want to pray with you, whether you're here or whether you're at home watching or listening. And I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer this morning with me, and I'm inviting everyone to pray. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Today, Lord, I recognize my need for a Savior. I have sinned, and I come to you and repent. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. Guide me. Govern me. Guard me so that I will experience your victory every day in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You prayed that prayer today, please let us know. Let somebody know here before you leave. If you prayed online, let us know. Go to the website, reslifeny.org. Go down to the prayer request. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to contact you, give us your name and some contact information. Would you stand?